So hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Harrison Nolan. I am the TKS director for Toronto. Uh, before I came to TKS, I was a serial entrepreneur and consultant and involved in a number of different things, ranging from investment real estate to marketing to neuroscience. Really excited to be here tonight with two uh, awesome guests, uh, Ben Nashman. Uh, so Ben actually is the founder and CEO of Synex Medical. But before he founded this company, he was actually a TKS uh, student. So he went through the TKS program and is now a TKS alumni. So very excited to have him here. So he went through TKS, actually went into U of T and then kind of put U of T on hold a little bit to start and uh, Synex and dive in uh, full, full speed. And Synex, I believe last October raised about $7 million Canadian. Now, Ben, you can just nod your head. It was around $7 million Canadian last year. Uh, so obviously super, super happy to hear, hear from him and have him here with us tonight. And then also we have his uh, VP of operations, Andressa, who has done a million things in her career as well. Um, uh, you know, some of which being getting a PhD in cellular and molecular biology from Trent University, uh, also attending courses at University of Penn State in the United States, and as well being a co-founder for a company called NobleGen, uh, producing nutrient dense foods from sustainable sources. That's also actually raised close to about $29 million. So first of all, did I miss anything, guys? I mean, that's a pretty awesome resume, but is there anything that I should know that I left out there? No, pretty much that's great. everything, yeah. That's great. Okay, so this, this podcast really is focusing in here on Cinex Medical and kind of diving into the zero to one story. So how do we got, how we got to where we are today? And uh, just to be direct, I, I wanna dive right in. So um, probably best, Ben, I'm, I'm gonna direct this first question at you. But I really want to know where, where in your mind was the inception for Cinex? So in TKS, we talk a lot about emerging technologies, work on a lot of different projects. In your mind, when did this project first start to come to light? Um, and, and where did it come from? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so, I mean, I, I was always interested in, in um, pretty complicated technologies since I was pretty young. So when I was like 15, around there, I got interested in MRIs and I just thought it was pretty cool at first. And I, I knew I wanted to do something in it. Um, and that was all focused on like brain imaging and everything. Cause I was just interested in neuroscience and all these things. And um, at the same time, there's another application of it that's more geared toward chemical analysis and all the stuff I guess we'll talk about. Um, and I realized there were a lot of interesting applications in that area. And so I wouldn't say it was like one night, I just woke up with a dream. It's like, oh my God, like I know what to do. But over time, as I kind of just dove into the field um, and came up with some ideas I had and just had conversations with people, it was over the course of a few months that I was like, wait a minute, could we do all these things using this pretty old technology? Um, there is one um, week I remember where it, where it was like really developing, where, you know, like everyone has those uh, shower thoughts. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I had uh, one of those weeks where like every shower was just like, oh my God, like I just can't stop thinking about some of this stuff. Um, so yeah, it just develops over time. You just kind of put puzzle pieces together. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure I can go into more detail on all the specifics, but. Yeah, yeah, I, I do want to ask a follow-up on that. So. So um, as many entrepreneurs know, it, the ideas are kind of like that. They kind of grow and develop and, and there might not be one specific moment, but maybe I'll center in on a different moment. So 
when did you have the validation that made you, that gave you the confidence to really dive into this idea? So I think a lot of us can come up with amazing, you know, we can do scientific research, we can do scientific discovery. What, was there one or maybe two particular moments where you got the confidence to think these aren't just ideas in my head, these are ideas that might work in the real world? Yeah. Um, so I can definitely put it to a moment later on, but, but I'll get to that in a sec. Um, before that, I, I remember uh, when all these ideas were kind of like coming into fruition. Um, the weird thing is that I, I knew a lot of people have been trying to solve this problem for like decades with little success. And I couldn't, so I like to run like the scientific method on ideas. Like you try to invalidate something in order to validate it. Um, and I couldn't find anything wrong with it. And it was kind of pissing me off that it wasn't, um, that, uh, you know, this hadn't been done before, honestly, because it seemed like such a, such an elegant idea or such an elegant solution to the problem. Um, but in terms of a specific moment, I remember we were on a phone call with um, this professor at, at U of T um, talking about the idea and trying to, um, uh, you know, figure out if we could do something together. And I, I remember um, his exact words. Is, it was like, oh, oh, it's bloody brilliant. And I'm like, great. <laughs> the first, like, like, you know, person with like all, all the credentials, like saying something positive. So um, that was an awesome moment. Um, but, but the thing is, I had the conviction before that because I, 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 you know, scientifically, I knew it was a sound thing. I, I, I knew, I, I knew we, we weren't breaking physics. So I knew, I knew it had to work. You know, it was just hard engineering. Okay. So, so that's, that's really interesting to hear. So, okay. So now you're at a point where you have an idea, you have the scientific discovery, you have some backup on it, but what do you do next? Like, where do you go? I think that's a lot of point that people get stuck on where they feel like they have a great idea, but to bring great ideas to fruition takes a lot of people. It takes maybe capital. It takes a lot of like energy, a lot of experts. Where did you go next from there? I mean, at that point, I don't want to pigeonhole you, but you're still a young person, right? So, mm -hmm. so I think a lot of us when we're young, we, we feel like we don't necessarily know where to turn. So where did you turn? What did you do next? How did you kind of make sure that idea actually stayed solid and moved forward? Yeah, so when I was first um, thinking of some of these ideas, um, my, my first thought was how can, we, how can I validate this in the cheapest and simplest way possible? And I was like, it has to be a simulation. And so um, I was able to get some access to some simulation software, um, by, I guess, incorporating a company, which became the company it is today. Um, and um, I, I tried to test some of the ideas there and, and it was pretty good, but uh, there was quite a learning curve to getting it, you know, actually functional in a simulation. Um, so that was a few months of just trying to figure out like, how can we actually use a simulation software in, in a useful way? Um, once I had enough confidence from some of the initial results there, I actually just try to see like, could I build something? So I, I just try to find all the off the shelf components I could. Um, and over the course of about eight months of planning and trying to put something together, eventually was able to get, I'd say a mildly cost-effective um, prototype that was able to show some of the initial ideas. And I think that's the key, which is, um, to get started, you don't need to show everything. You just need to show enough and that you can figure it out 
hard problems. And so um, even for like early investors, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about, a lot of them, like you, you don't need to have the whole product working. You don't need to show them a whole product. You need, need to show them that you're the right person to build that product, meaning you have to show traction. And so I, I think that's where, um, that's where a lot of my efforts should have gone. I was trying to do a lot at once. And I think that wasn't a great idea, but um, really just focusing on getting something that you can show anything really. So, so when, when did you start? So like obviously having Andressa here, uh, you guys have been a pretty, pretty good power, power duo. When, when did you think to yourself, okay, I probably need more help. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to be doing this whole entire project alone. Um, yeah. When did that start coming into your mind? Because the thing that I'm thinking too is, again, I, I was a young entrepreneur as well. Um, sometimes it can, you can be hesitant because you're like, I don't know if I'm ready to hire people. Like, am I worthy of being a CEO yet? So I'm, I'm curious to hear what was that sort of self-talk like? And then how did that process look when you first started bringing on, I know Andres was your first employee. So what did that look like? <clears throat> Yeah, so the, the, there were a few stages where I just realized I need a I need someone else here that knows what they're doing. <laughs> um, like I I remember because um, I I was always like pretty good at the hardware physics side, uh, but the software side has never been my strength. So algorithm dev, all that stuff. Um, and so I found I, I contacted a prof um, at U of T, you know, because uh, we started at, at Toronto. Um, about uh, some of these ideas and he pointed me to a student and I got uh, connected with the student and said, you know, like I can pay you a bit of money every week um, if you can do some simulation algorithm dev software, just stuff, you know, for, uh, for me while we build this. Um, so I realized after a while that, you know, I, I had to pay taxes and I just like didn't know that that was a thing, but apparently it is. And so there's all these like, formal things that I just had no idea about. Um, and it was that, and it was around that time where, um, you know, while I was making progress on this initial prototype and like, sure, like technical things come together, there's so much around creating a company beyond just the technology that I had no idea about. And so I figured it made sense to bring someone in who knew how to do that. Um, so that was when I got connected with Andressa. Um, yeah. And here we are. <laughs> hey, I, I want to ask you one final question. Then I do want to yeah. ask you some questions about the early. Very, very final question. You, it seems like you almost came to this place where you had a bit of a choice. Like, I mean, in theory, you could have pivoted yourself and gone, I'm going to go fully business side. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to hire someone on the science side. I'm, I'm just curious for you personally, why did you stick kind of on the path that you took and, and thought, you know, I'm going to find a partner who's going to crush this business, who has the expertise there instead of taking that, that role on or taking that part of the business on. So, I mean, I, I think it, for, for me personally, um, I mean, the reason is I, I just love building it. Like, that's what I love to do. So I figured I'll, I want to do that. But I, I think the general theme is that it, it really depends on the company um, and what you want to do in that company. So for us, I, I think like we're creating a, a fundamentally new technology here, which is really challenging. And so, um, for the first year, for the first two years of me just fiddling with some of this stuff, it was basically all technical. And it was basically all just trying to figure out, can you get something working at all? Um, 
and it, it like honestly in a lot of the stages it wasn't ready to turn into a company because it was it, it, there was no clear path forward on the tech for a while um but as soon as there was like some some idea of how to progress forward um i i i immediately acknowledged like that is not something i know how to do yet and, and i'm sure i can learn it but i can't do everything by myself from the start um and that would not be a smart move to make so it makes sense to bring someone in at that point and um yeah it's it's something that i don't think is is especially on the on the business side is is that easily learned like you can't sit in a classroom and figure out oh how do you raise money in the optimal way it's like these are things that are just someone has to go through the startup experience it, it, it can even be, be you know like a very, like a failed early stage startup but just the idea of going through something um, where you have to learn all these hard lessons that are really challenging to learn in a classroom I think working with someone like that at the beginning is helpful, or at least having guidance in some capacity. Nice. Okay, Andressa. So I'm I'm going to ask you then. Um, coming in, you're you're hearing from some obviously uh, individual got big ideas, needing some help on the business side. What was it maybe about either your first interactions about the business, whatever it may be, that actually uh, you know compelled you to join this team? Yeah, it was definitely the vision. Uh, so Ben was telling me how he really wanted to make sure that we had a way to make healthcare proactive so that people could really improve their quality of lives. And since I was a kid, I always wanted uh, to do something that would have a positive impact in people's lives. Uh, very naive of me when I was younger, uh, I thought about becoming a physician I was like, no, like I'll be limited by the amount of time I have in a day with the amount of impact that I have. So again, naively, I thought like, oh, research is the way to go. Because then if I make a research breakthrough, I'm going to help everyone that's affected by this condition, um, which is true in a way. But research uh, is very ungrateful, uh, academic research in the sense that it's a lot of work for a lot of time for very little results. Uh, and just to build... Um, on Ben's comments or the question that you made it to Ben, I, I also love the early stage startup and building something. And unlike Ben from my first company, uh, although my background is cell and molecular biology and we were growing cells, I shifted. I learned all the business stuff. Uh, and I said, like, I can do this. Uh, and it really helped because my co-founder focused on the science, I focused on the business. Uh, and to Ben's point about like raising money, I had no idea how to do that. Uh, so the first thing I did was actually ask for mentorship. I approached people that I had never met before and be like, hey, my name's Andressa. This is what I'm working on. Can you be part of my advisory board for free? And people said yes. <laughs> and I learned a lot. And I learned how to um, apply for government grants and deal with government grants. And I learned that they are very frustrating uh, as well, <laughs> uh, but it's part of the process, right? Uh, so when it come, uh, came to joining uh, Ben, uh, what he did then was to go to an old person, which was me, uh, for help. <laughs> for this group today, I'm pretty sure I'm like the oldest one in the room. I'm 31, in case you're wondering. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so that's, it came with experience, but it came a lot with asking for help and knowing how to ask for help. And Joining Synex was a lot about the vision and also been uh, being humble enough to recognize like, hey, I don't know how to do this. I'm going to hire someone that knows what they're doing. And we work very well together because we have that respect. So it, 
I respect his scientific uh, background and he respects my business background and vice versa. So, so I do want to ask about that because um, it, 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 it seems that in a lot of startups, there is sort of a clear divide sometimes between the business and the science per se, especially if you talk about a scientific startup. Um, you both obviously have deeply, deeply scientific backgrounds. How do you manage that, that difference between the two of you? Do you find yourselves itching to maybe dip, dip into the other side of the business periodically? Do you find you actively dipping into the other side of the business periodically? Or is it kind of like a hard, crisp wall where everyone takes care of their own side of things and, and there's no overlap? I mean, just from, this, from the case in point that those joining us tonight um, and those listening as well, you know, you can be a scientist and be deeply interested in business and you can be a business person and deeply interested in the product and the science. So how do you two basically make that work given you both do have pretty similar backgrounds? It, it blends a lot. <laughs> um, at the beginning, um, I thought it was completely two separate things. Um, but I, I mean, it's a two-way street, you know, you can't have a business without having a product to ship, um, but you can't ship a product without building a business around it. Mm -hmm. So, um, I know that that sounds kind of high level, but but it is really important that um, you need to make sure it, you know there's open communication in both ways. And I think a lot of companies like what they try to do is they try to build R and D departments that are just separate from the company. And I'm not really sure if that's the best way to go about building something new because you want someone to go in there with a big picture and say this is where we need to go. Um, and oftentimes, just you know, playing around with something is not really the the best way to get there. So, so I think like one of the, the ways that you know, we really accelerated our tech development is um, figuring out what our business milestones are, like what's required to progress as a business and shaping our technical timelines to fit towards that. And it makes us work harder on the tech. It makes us work on smarter things and not just play around with random stuff and figure out like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um, and so it, it blends it together really nicely. And that was probably like, the biggest Thing that helped us progress as a company, honestly, is writing down what do you need to achieve and working backwards from there. Yeah, I would agree with that because I, I joke that I'm the annoying one. I'm the party pooper of Cinex because I'm always the one that says like, hey, yes, research is great. However, we are a business. At the end of the day, we have business milestones we have to achieve. We cannot go down the pigeonhole of research that I know very well. Uh, so this is a timeline. So tell me, is this sufficient and then work backwards from there. And it was interesting because we went through this exercise that Ben is mentioning fairly recently. And obviously we want an aggressive timeline, of course. And at first the team was freaking out. They were having a full-on anxiety attack. But as we provided support to them, because that's the other important thing, like even me, uh, uh, that I wear a hundred percent business hat all the time, I do put myself out there to help the team if it is with whatever I can, because I see myself as a resource, right? But as we started to achieve things together, they're like, hey, it is possible. You know, it is. So their anxiety levels have started to go down because we're working on this together. We are in this together. We are building the same product. We joined the company for the same reason because we do want to have an impact. We do want to see this product uh, go forward. So it's essentially um, the blend of business and science becomes very helpful in that sense, because also, for example, I am not very strong in physics. That's not my area of expertise at all, uh, but I know enough uh, 
to call BS on certain things, right? <laughs> so that's when I first met Ben. That's what I was doing. Just like, ah, does this make sense? It's like, okay, good. Uh, but also as the person driving, uh, mainly responsible to drive the business milestones. It also helps with the technical team. The fact that I have a technical background and I can ask questions and I'm not scared of asking questions uh, because then they are forced to explain to me and question how they are seeing things as well. And then I can throw in my two cents and we will listen. And that's been very helpful rather than having that clear separating wall. We do blend the lines However, what is very clear is who, are, who is accountable for what. So whenever we have a meeting and we have to do this, it's always very clear. And we make a point to assign someone that's responsible. And I even joke, so then I can go after them. If something's not happening, I know who to go after and look for answers. Uh, but everyone is held accountable, Ben and myself included. There's no one that states that. I, I want to say one more point here, because I think it's important you know, to lay out your milestones, but a lot of the times, like what milestones you put down or like, where are you going at all? I think that's where you need to have a cohesive vision, a cohesive view of what you want to accomplish. Um, like the reason you start something is not because, you know, you want, it, it's not because of the first product you ship rarely. I mean, the, the first product gets you in the door, but it's what do you want to achieve in the long term? Like, I think that's, start a business and so the the way we go about it we start every meeting every month we, we we do monthly okrs so every every okr we start off the meeting with like what's our long-term goal it's to make healthcare predictive you know using continuous metabolomics and all these things um and then we work backwards from there what does that what business milestones arise from that and what do we need to do today to work toward those business milestones so I, I think if you frame decisions around what do I want to accomplish X years from now in terms of a vision and then go backwards, I think that's a really smart way of going about it. Um, yeah. Perfect. Okay. Well, I want to ground ourselves back in this story a little bit. So at this point, we've gone to the point you're bringing on dress on board. When, how, how, how deep into the journey was this for you? Was this months? Was this <laughs> a year in? Um, two years it, in. Two yeah. Years in. It's, yeah, it's blurry. <laughs> okay, blurry. Well, that's okay. Every startup's uh, start date is a little bit blurry besides the incorporation date for the most part. Okay. So, so that, that's fair to say. And, and at this point, you've built some sort of prototype. You've been working in within U of T. You've worked with some students, a professor, and you now have your first employee on board. Is that, is that pretty much a good catch up? More or less, yeah. yeah. Oh, you forgot to mention that we're working out of a closet inside of the hospital. <laughs> it was a closet. Yeah. It, we didn't have enough chairs. One of the chairs was a crate that one of the magnets. It was the magnet that was shipped in, yeah. Okay, so that, that's worth a half step back because Google and Amazon started in garages. Cenex Medical started in a closet. So <laughs> give me the two-second context. Why a closet? And how were you productive in a closet? Oh, boy. It's okay. It, it wasn't a closet. It was, um, so we were at... <laughs> it we were was at a storage some, room. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We were at Mount Sinai hospital because um i got connected with um some people over there and they were pretty interested in this um and so we ended up actually going um to where endocrinology to where their their endocrinology center was um it's all their diabetes research and they had an extra room and a table and that, i mean like that's all you need for a prototype right um it, it, it was just a medical storage room so there was like stuff stuffed in corners boxes everywhere and um, we had a tiny table 
we had a sink um, and then we had a table and then we, and then we had a table where, where we could put a prototype on. Um, and so that was the prototype. It was just this big magnet on a desk and then a box of electronics beneath it with cables everywhere. It was really messy. Um, it was a lot of fun though. It was, it was cool. It was, it was, it was you know, we have some good pictures from that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also yeah. obviously super thankful for Mount Sinai to let yeah. us have that space. Right. Cause otherwise we'll, I don't know, be working out of my basement, which is not nearly as cool uh, as saying that we were at Sinai. So there's definitely advantages of it, which goes back to asking your network, what can you do? Cause that's pretty much how Ben ended up there. Okay. Awesome. So, so we're in a closet Andres is on board. We're two years in. So Andres, I'm going to throw this back to you because you mentioned coming in how important, I mean, we both have just discussed the importance of these business milestones. Um, what were some of the first sort of milestones you set up? And, and, and um, I do want to be specific, like what were some of the things coming in? They were like, okay, we have to focus. And here are some of the big things we need to start working on. Because again, I think coming up to this point, um, I think the vision is, is pretty clear. I think we all know how to get to, we don't know perfectly how to get to where you are. I think the next part of the journey is the part that a lot of people don't see past that curtain. So what are some of the next things you guys set up at least as milestones, um, whether you accomplish them or not is besides the point. And I'm interested to hear that as well. But what were some of the next things that were like the top of your list as far as priority, especially someone who's done this before? Yes. Yeah, so for me, my number one thing was first, I spent one month trying to organize the documents <laughs> and especially the financials because I needed to know how much money we had. So that was, I, I and how much money we're spending. Sorry, so there, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but have you guys, have you guys received funding at this point or is this all grants? So there was no grants. Uh, it was uh, family and friends okay. money uh, that was scraped together. Let's put it that way. Okay. <laughs> so I needed to know. And then the second thing, because I had worked with grants before, uh, I scoured for grants. I shook my grant tree pretty hard and nothing fell because the grant environment uh, in the last few years, quite frankly, it's, it's been quite disappointing. It's like, okay, now that I know how much money we have, I know how much money uh, we have to spend. Let's start with the business milestones. Uh, and I'm not sure if you remember this, Ben, but we went to that room with the whiteboard across the room. Yeah. So essentially, uh, we had to raise money. Right. That was the first thing we needed to do because research is expensive. So I told Ben, OK, we need to raise money by this date. So similar to how Ben said before, and I believe we had set a date. This was uh, June uh, 2019. And I believe we had said by September we needed to raise money. Uh, so then we said, OK, so if September we're raising money, we have to go back. So, okay, so that means that we have to have uh, chosen our investors at least a month before that, which means we have to wear behind. We need to <laughs> we need to start reaching out to people now. We're behind. Uh, so that was uh, the biggest milestone. So put together um, uh, what I call SIM, which is confidential information memorandum. Some people call it pitch deck or whatever. Uh, put that together, scrape some data together to put on it. But then in the meantime, what we also started doing, because it was just Ben and I, uh, okay, great, I was on my second startup, doesn't mean a whole lot, right? So then based on my experience, we had to get validation. So I started looking for people that we could connect with, that could uh, that had know-how, that had the credibility 
uh, for us to reach out and talk to them for collaborations. And even we went as far as asking them for testimonials so you can put it on our SIM, on our pitch deck. And that's the individual that Ben mentioned, Dr. Andrew Simpson. He's a director of our environmental NMR. And again, it, I cold emailed him and he responded. Uh, I cold emailed a guy that's like one of the founding fathers of NMR. He lives in Italy, uh, Stan. <laughs> And he responded, you know, so it was like it, people do that and they just like to see cool tech being applied. Right. Uh, and we have developed amazing partnerships from that. So it was essentially organizing to see how much money we had uh, organizing so we could raise money and then organizing so we could hire. Those were the three priorities uh, that uh, we set when I first arrived. There, there's something important there, too, which is um, it's. Um, like a lot of the time, because you stare at your screen every day, knowing what you're doing. And so when you see a chart that depicts something, it makes sense to you if you're deep into the tech. When you're trying to raise money, people have about 30 minutes to fully understand what you're trying to build. And at the early stages, when it's highly technical, like you have, you have to understand, like it's not possible for a lot of people to do that for something that's highly technical. Um, and so I think that's like one of the main reasons why we had to go to people who honestly just had like really big credentials behind them. It's not as much just saying to, it's not even to, to, to have to work to them uh, or to work with them. It's, it's just so that you can have someone who clearly knows what they're doing, give you a stamp of approval so that other people can trust you. Um, so, so I think that was something that was really helpful. And honestly, when I talked to some of our early stage investors, um, after the fact, a lot of them said they took the meeting because of um, some of these early, uh, or, or I guess early supporters who had all these credentials because um, they could validate it. Okay, so so just so I'm clear, I mean, it, it, like coming into raising money is one of your next big milestones. What at that point it seems like you have a prototype. What were some of the other big things that you felt you needed to prove in order to just to, to like to actually raise that money and close that capital? And and was this was this either on the product side or maybe even on the team side or even in your mindset? Like what do you feel like you needed to show to these people? Because when you just have a when you just have a prototype, um, you know, you're basically asking investors and you're saying, trust me, right? So so how did how did that sort of play out? I would say the team side, <clears throat> excuse me, was huge. Uh, yeah. That because you essentially have to, to your point, Harrison, you have to show to the investors, okay, there is no question that uh, we're smart. Like, great, but can you do this? Do you have what it takes to make this a reality? Uh, and that's essentially what the investors invest in, right? So they invest in the early team. Because uh, quite frankly, they don't quite understand the science, right? <laughs> uh, so they invest in the early, early team as well as um, the vision. So if you have that, it will help. And whenever also we needed a little bit more money, because we did subsequent rounds, we did one price round and we did uh, notes afterwards. Uh, one of the things that really helped us and gave us a lot of credibility is that everything that we said we were going to do, we did. So we are very realistic when it comes to our timelines. Doesn't mean they're not aggressive. They are hyper aggressive, but we are very honest and transparent uh, with our investor pool to say like, hey, this is what we achieved. This is what we didn't achieve. This is why we didn't achieve this. Uh, but the big milestones that we said, this is what we would do, we achieve, which then just increases their confidence level in us. 
So next time we need to raise more money, they're like, hey, they're building a great team. They're building a great product. They are reliable. They're not just mucking around with my money. So all of that really helped. Yeah, I, I definitely second the vision piece. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of investors out there. If you have a, uh, an inspiring vision, you're not going to have trouble finding someone who aligns with that vision. So I think one of the mistakes I made at the beginning was trying to convince investors that said no of the vision and why it's important. Um, and it's, it's not really a smart move because like, just like you, your investors try to validate you by doing due diligence on you, you have to validate your investors and make sure they're aligned with what you want to build. Um, and so it's, it's not just a, a one-way street again for that. So I think that's why it's... Um, it's important to, to find investors who align with your vision. And that just means talking with a lot of investors, just like reaching out to a ton of people and figuring out um, who aligns with you. And when it's the right investor, when they do align and you can you know, pitch your, your vision well, uh, you'll know it because they get excited. Um, and, then it, and then the question is, you know, are you the right person to achieve this vision? And what's can get investors excited about that vision and um, that you can convince them that you, know, you have the right mentality, you have the right approach, um, you're pretty good. So yeah. Okay. Nice. I, I only have one question left and then we're going to go into a couple like popcorn questions that I took, uh, from Naveed and Nadim as well to ask you guys. Uh, so my very last question is obviously you guys were successful in, in raising money. Um, so I, I I'm sure that was, uh, a, a very pivotal moment in, in this journey for both of you. So that, but that's just ammunition right? We always can talk about funding. Funding doesn't mean that you've accomplished the goal. It's just ammunition in the gun to move forward. So for you particularly, Ben, coming out of TKS, again, um, in a place where we talked all day and night about innovation, we talked all day and night about build, building prototypes, you now got ammunition in your gun to go. How, how did you feel in that moment? And what were some of the even mindsets or things that were going through your head on how to move the business forward from there? Yeah. Um, well, first, what you said exactly right. Way too many founders think raising money is the goal. It is not the goal. It is just a means to get to your goal. So very easy to get caught up in the hype of raising money. As soon as you get your first check, you're like, oh, this is so cool. Um, it, it's uh, Raising money is not a business. <laughs> um, in terms of like the day after you raise money, I remember I, I had like a, a moment of realization where I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. Like I've said that, I've, I've had that at a few times, like Andres has seen that, where it's like every time like you raise money, it's like, oh my God, this is actually legit now. Holy shit. Um, oh. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, in, in terms of what we did after that, that's when you have to really stick to the milestones that you want to achieve. And it's easy once you raise money I think there's two types of people, actually. There's people who, right after they raise money, they're like, we need to get this, we need to get this, we need to get this. Then there's also, uh, you know, people who are like, I, I don't want to spend anything because um, I'm worried about it, you know? Um, I feel like I was a bit of the, the latter. Um, just because, you know, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but over, over time, you know, I, I mean, I got better at it. But, but yeah, I, I, like you just have to figure out what are the milestones you want to achieve? Now that you have money, you have milestones. Now, exactly what do we need to get there? 
And I think the biggest first step is hire people, get the right people on board. Uh, you have money, get smart people in the room and um, try to make this real. Try to find people who can build a product with you. Yeah, and have a budget. So don't just spend <laughs> money willy-nilly. You have to have a budget. Accounting is critical. Uh, and I learned that the hard way with my first startup. That's one of the first, that's one of the reasons when I first joined Cinex, I was like, give me everything that you have on accounting because I need to know uh, because you cannot run a business. If an investor asks you or you should know, like how much money you have in the bank, bam, I know. How much money did you raise? Bam, I know. How much money did you spend last month? Bam, I know. Because uh, otherwise you're not the right person to run a business. That's when you hire someone um, to run that part of the business. Yeah, I have one popcorn question to start and it's, and it's very brief. Uh, you talked about the importance of hiring. I'm curious to know how long did you spend hiring your, your third employee to join you? So yourself, Ben, Andressa, how, the third person, I don't need to know who they are or who, how they came in, but how long did that process take you? Like when you talk about the importance of hiring, just from a time standpoint, how much, how much did you put into that? So that, that was Sean then. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I remember it was, I, I'm thinking back. It was, there a were, time. Um, it was was October. So I joined in uh, June. Yeah, yeah. Then we put out the, it took a long time. It, yeah. So the, the problem is we're in such a niche field. It's like you, you could count on, on your two hands, how many people are in our specific field of uh, low field miniaturized magnetic resonance. I mean, I feel like the more adjectives you add, the more niche you get. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it, it takes a while to find like the right person. Um, I think that's why eventually we switched to the idea of let's try to find someone who can get familiar with what we're doing because it's unrealistic to find the exact right person for this. Um, but but try to focus on who we think is is going to be, or who 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 we think is going to be able to figure it out really, um, given ambiguous stuff in front of them. Um, and so that's where we kind of change our mentality, just figure out like who was like the right person with like enough background to understand it, but also seem pretty smart um, to be able to move from there, you know, on something um, with not a lot of, with not really a clear path. Um, I guess moving on from that, you know, hiring is probably something we think about all the time because what defines a company is your, your first tens of people, you know, 10, 20 people. Um, so keep your standards very high. Only work with people that you, you, you never want to be the smartest person in the room ever. High standards, figure it out. And you never want to be the smartest person in the room. Damn. seems like you went to TKS, yes, Ben. Uh, <laughs> but, anyways. Okay. I'm going to get to the popcorn questions, not for a sake of, of, of lack of things to ask you guys. I have so many more things I wish I could dig into, but I, I did have a couple of questions that I, that I, I really wanted to get to. So first thing is, and I, I have, I have heard a little bit of this story, but what was it like um, working with Navid and Nadim in the early days of Cenex? And I mean, you don't have to dive into this story in particular, but I also know that they might have even at some point interfaced with your parents uh, around Cenex Medical as well. So yeah, what was that experience like early? Um, you don't have to dig into that particular story too much, but um, yeah, what was that like? I mean, there's a lot I can talk about. Um, I... Uh... I mean, starting from like first session of TKS, like I remember it was, um, it was a very different way of thinking. 
you know, from what I, I saw in, in school. And um, I mean, like all the things that I'm sure everyone says, you know, that like, like when you come out of the program, like it, it's obvious coming out of it, but at the beginning, like it really shocks you when you start to think in like a different way about building really new things. And so there were a lot of moments where I was like, Oh my God, like looking back, it makes sense. But there are a lot of times, um, like even during a presentation, don't make bullet points and just read the bullet points. Like it, it's, it's not something that you think like in, in that, I mean, like right now, I'm sure everyone on this call is, is thinking like, yeah, obviously. Um, but back, you know, being, I don't know, grade nine, grade 10 student, um, it's like, wow, you, you, no wonder, you know, all these like fancy people have nice presentations because they don't do that. Um, so there were a lot of moments that it was just very obvious things looking back, but, but I think um, in terms of, I guess, related to the, to the thing you were talking about. Yeah. I mean, so I went to university early on um, while I was still, like prototyping and doing Cinex. Um, uh, I, I guess it, it was like half and half at that point. Um, and I think they were pushing me to just, you know, figure out like, is this something I'm willing to commit to? And if it is, I can't half-ass it. I can't do, you know, um, I can't do an, an engineering degree while also trying to engineer something. Um, <laughs> it's like, they're both full-time things. Um, and so I think they were helpful in having me think about what do I want to prioritize in my life? And uh, what should I spend my time on? doesn't mean you exclusively have to do one thing and can never do something else. It's just like, how do you want to prioritize stuff? Because I had everything in the same uh, playing field. And like parents being parents, um, they're like, you know, get that engineering degree. That's a good degree. Um, especially Jewish parents. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There, there's a great story that, um, um, oh, I forget who, but it was someone's working at like a, a you know, some billion dollar company and um, she's Jewish and she's talking um to uh, or she's like at a family thing and her mother is bragging about how her brother's a doctor even though like she's working at a just because like parents yeah cheryl sandberg cheryl sandberg that was yeah, yeah cheryl sandberg was talking about that yeah yeah, yeah. very funny yeah um but uh, from their perspective you know that's what they grew up with like in in their in their time period like they saw like that's the path to success but um yeah my parent my parents did you know talk to Naveed Nadim at one point and there was some back and forth and i think ultimately Naveen nadim just said like it, it, it's basically up to me and and eventually my parents said that too um so it was me who made the decision um and i'm, I'm glad that uh committed to cynex awesome so i have two last questions for both of you the first one uh, a big open-ended one which is you know having the experiences that you both have had very very successful entrepreneurs um, both at, at, at very, very young ages, I would say as well, you know, the average age of a successful entrepreneur, I think is something like 45 or 50 at this point, um, you know, sitting in a room of, you know, uh, successful entrepreneur candidates right now, pretty much. Um, what do you think are some of the biggest sort of misconceptions that either kids and or parents have about the world right now? Like having had the experiences you've had, what are some of the biggest misconceptions? And I know that's pretty open-ended, so you can pick where you want to pick um, that either kids or parents have about the world. Uh, from my experience, I would say that age is important. 
because to your point, it is not. Uh, so I have seen, I have worked with several different people and I can tell you that I have seen people that are, even though like, I feel like I'm old, uh, I have worked with people older than I, and I was like, man, you know, nothing, you know, <laughs> I was like, you suck as a professional. And I have worked with people younger than I, that just blew me away. And Ben is one of them. And when I was judging uh, the moonshot projects, I was blown away. I was telling everybody I know, I was like, this is impressive. Uh, so that thing that says like, well, you have to have a certain age and after you reach a certain age, you peak as a human being, to, that doesn't exist, you know? Um, but also, also doesn't exist the fact that you can do everything. You can't, it's a team. Like if you wanna achieve greatness, you have to surround yourself with great people. It's not a, a one person show. Uh, if that's what you're interested in, in a one person show, you might rise very quickly, but you're also going to fall very quickly. That's what I have seen. Yeah, for me. Um, so I, I, one thing that I think is pretty relevant is that you don't need to have everything figured out to start. In fact, you can just have an initial idea. I think too many people stress out about the fact that, and, and this goes not even for starting a company, just for doing almost anything. Um, a lot of people like to have everything planned out before they do anything. And uh, I don't think there's a single successful company alive today that started that way. I, <laughs> I, not only that, but most, most programs, most organizations, people start them off of this, an idea that they want to achieve and you figure out the plan as things become clearer as you move along. You have to be able to adapt quickly. Um, not to use too many buzzwords, but it, it's true. You like you don't need to have everything figured out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Reid Hoffman has the very popular saying of that building a startup is kind of like you know flying through the sky and trying to build the airplane on your way down, or jumping out of an airplane and trying to build the parachute on the way down, or whatever it is. Right, you gotta kind of make the jump and you might not have even all the materials or all the answers or whatever it is, but the ability to figure out it out along the way is, is not only um, helpful, it's a necessity because if you have all the answers before you start, you know, you're, you're never going to start because that's, that's impossible. Right. So very, very last question. Um, I'm asking for a bit of a peek behind the curtain. You can tell us as much as you'd like, but um, given, you know, Cinex, the direction you guys are going, I want you to paint me a picture. Cinex, you know, is an extremely successful company in the future. What does a future look like uh, where your product is out there in the market? What are you guys trying to achieve? And, and what sort of future are you, are you building for all of us on this call um, with more proactive healthcare? Do you have a time frame that you're thinking of? You got, you got five minutes. I'll give you a whole five minutes to get it in. So it's quite oh, a bit no. Oh, no. I meant a time frame oh. in the future. Um, oh, future. No, like, like best case scenario. Give me, give me like, a, let's say like fully to market commercialized 20 year time horizon. Oh, okay. Future. Yeah. So, okay. I, I guess like re really we, we want to ship a platform that unlocks predictive health. Um, the goal is not necessarily to deliver an awesome technology. It's to do something with that technology. So, so right now, you know, people have been chasing predictive health for decades. It's been the holy grail of medicine since it's like that, you know, that line has been in newspapers or in, in the news um, since the nineties and eighties, people have been talking about, can we predict our health? Um, but we haven't been able to achieve it to a really 
useful way yet. Um, and one of the problems is that we don't really understand our body in any sort of useful way beyond basic physiological parameters. Like we can understand our heart rate, we can understand our breathing rate, how many steps we took in a day, um, now EKG, very basic things. And you think about how complex your body is, which is this massive bath of chemical reactions called your, your metabolism. So um, the way like I, I like to paint it is that you have your genome at the bottom and you have your proteome above that, then you have your metabolome, and then you have your, I guess, physiology. And right now we're kind of blind to everything looking down. You know, we can do our physiology. We can do a bit of uh, gene sequencing, but there's not much prediction there yet. Everything in the middle, there's really no good way for people to measure that. Um, you know, people have been trying glucose monitors and all these things, but these are single data points. It doesn't give you a picture of what your metabolism actually is. So what we're trying to build is a way to measure all these really critical things in a real-time basis that people actually want to use. So being non-invasive, not something, you know, you have to put in your body or draw blood um, and have it wearable. So it's, you know, continuous. Um, and with all, and, and as we, I guess, uh, collect more of this data, it lets, us, it lets us actually kind of put together like the jigsaw puzzle of what our metabolism is to do real predictive analytics. You know, predicting things like cancers, neurodegenerative diseases, cardiovascular diseases, the list goes on. All of these things have markers early on in your metabolism. And right now we're kind of, a, we have a blind eye to all of this. So in the future, that's, that's, what, that's what we want to do. We want to give people that platform that they can actually do real prediction on and stop things ahead of time, but also optimize stuff, you know, about your health in all these different ways. Okay, before we sign off, where can they learn more about Synex? Uh, where should they be following you? Where are they getting updates and, and yourselves personally as well? Yeah, so the thing is like, we're kind of stealth mode, I guess. Not really. Yeah, well, not when, really. When an update <laughs> to be given. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so um, I would say um, definitely reach out to me. I mean, I think you all have like my contact info through, uh, or I mean, I'm happy to distribute it. Um, you know, you can reach out to me and Andressa. I mean, our bandwidth is very limited as you can imagine, but, uh, we love to talk to people who are enthusiastic about this stuff. Um, and I would say, you know, keep your eyes out in the next few years about some stuff in the headlines. It'll be there. Um, more than that, it's hard for me to yeah. So Ben is pretty active on Twitter. Uh, I have a Twitter account, but I'm not that active. I think I just post about my dogs. That's what I do. So, <laughs> uh, on LinkedIn, uh, we have some stuff uh, on the company. Uh, I am a little bit more active on LinkedIn because that's where I do my recruiting. Uh, but yeah, so that's where uh, some information can be found, I guess. Twitter is a good one. Yeah. Okay, Twitter and a Twitter, bit of Twitter, bit of LinkedIn. Thank you both for being here. Thank you so much for answering all of our questions. Um, and hopefully, you know, best of luck to you with Cinex. And, and hopefully we'll be hearing from you both again soon. Perfect. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Thanks it. so much. <laughs>